approach this as we look at it. Um, you know, there are so there there is so much life that we are not aware of, that we cannot visualize, that we cannot physically see. Sometimes we can just sense it, though, right? I, I know for me, there have been moments in my life that I know something beyond the natural has taken place. It's not every day that I'm aware of that. It's not even every month. It may not even be every year uh, for what I'm talking about. But there are some moments that I look back on and I say, that was supernatural. It was beyond the natural, beyond what I can see. I remember when I was working on my master's degree, the last year uh, of that, uh, I was commuting um, from the Little Rock area to uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And I, uh, that's where my school was. Uh, so I would be there during the week, and I would come home on the weekend. Uh, I had a church position, and, um, and I just I desperately wanted to be home. I never want. I stayed in a commuter dorm, which was like basically staying in, in Hades. It, it was horrible. And so I would come home. I wanted to be home. I did not want to stay there. This one particular uh, weekend... Um, I would leave on Fridays, and I would go back on Mondays. This one weekend, it, it snowed, and it snowed a lot. Um, and I was like, I, you know, it's a long drive. With, even without snow, it's, it's uh, almost seven hours. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to try it. So I got in the car, and I, and I headed toward Little Rock from Fort Worth. I, I did fine. The snow got a little heavier as I got closer to central Arkansas. By the time I got to Arkadelphia, all all the roads were covered. It was pretty thick. The bridges were frozen, so it wasn't just snow. That was also some ice, and it and it was it was thick. I've grown up, as m many of us have, and in Little Rock we get maybe just a little bit more snow than we do here. And I, but I. Um, so I'd grown up driving in the snow, and I understood that. And not everybody grows up driving in some snow, and I know ours is nothing compared to up north. But so as I hit this one particular bridge in Long uh, Arkadelphia area, Caddo Valley, um, I it was a very long bridge, and so you know obviously I'm not going to accelerate. But I'm also not going to put my brakes on. <laughs> you just drive, and you drive, you steer. The person who was probably 100 yards in front of me began putting on their brakes. And I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. Um, and obviously, and, and it wasn't. Their car started spinning around, and they were taking up at times both lanes. And so my car, I, I had no choice but to begin hitting my brakes. And obviously then I began spinning in circles. The crazy thing for me was I was spinning in one direction. And, you know, momentum is going to keep you going that way. We just talked about a lot of physics <laughs> in the last series. As soon as I got to that car, which I was going to hit without a doubt, there could not have been millimeters separating us my car spun the other direction allowing that car to spin out of my way 
my cart changed direction. The momentum, physically, that can't happen. And the physical laws, that can't happen. My cart changed direction. And I spun the other way. And I, as soon as I, I, I got my car under control, now that they were behind me, I got my car under control, I went off the bridge, I took the Caddo Valley exit, and I got out of my car, and I was looking. I was like, how, how in the world? I was looking at my car. Surely I hit them. I, I, and and that, nothing. No, I didn't hit them. Didn't. And I was like, that was not natural. That was beyond natural. And I know for me, and I know that sounds silly, I, and, and, and it may be, but in that moment I knew that was supernatural. It was beyond natural. I, I know another time in my life, very specifically, that I, I should have died. I should, I should be dead. And I didn't die. There is no natural explanation of why in that moment I did not die. And that was beyond natural. It was supernatural. It involved things that I cannot and I could not, I could not see. All of this life around us that we cannot see. We've all heard stories similar to that. I've got a dear friend uh, in another state, Alabama, and he uh, and his son were driving. They were in a massive car wreck in, uh, in a, a metro area in Alabama. And uh, it just so happened. So uh, there was life support, ambulances, everything was there. The roads, the, inter the interstate was blocked off, shut off, and no cars were getting through. Just so happened his wife happened to be driving just a little ways back. And... Um, Something, she had this sense, I, I need to, to walk up that way. And it was her son and husband in the car. She is freaking out, uncontrollable. Um, and um, so one of the state troopers comes up to her and walks her back to the inside of one of the trooper cars. Um, not because she's under arrest, but because he's trying to help her calm down. So they're sitting in the car and he's just, you know, he's just visiting with her, talking to her, and he, he tells her his name, and, and he, they pray together. He prays with her, and he assures her, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Um, and he goes back and works the accident, and um, she stays in the car. And not long after that, um, one of the other troopers comes up, and they're visiting, and she says, and, 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 and everything is turning out okay. And one of the other troopers uh, comes up and she says, hey, listen, I need to get a hold of him. I, I just want to thank him for being so kind and, and for helping me. And she gives him his name. She tells him about the story. And he, he says, well, ma'am, we, we have no one on our entire um, squad or force that has that name, that... that we don't have that person. And immediately she understands she had a brush with an angel. Uh, something she can't explain and something that was beyond natural. 
Billy Graham tells a story of a, a guy named John Patton who was a missionary to some unreached portions of the South Pacific. And if you know anything about South Pacific, years ago there were many tribes unreached, and there may still be today, I'm not sure, but some of those were very violent towards any outsiders. And this uh, missionary complex, it was a house and, and probably another building or so where they, uh, where they had their mission efforts centered. Uh, for the patents, they were the only ones there, and their house was one night became surrounded by uh, a, a local tribe. And their plan, the tribe's plan, was to burn them out of the house and the facility and then to kill the, the two missionaries, the man and his wife. That was their plan. That was what they were going to do. Um, the missionaries got down on their knees in their home and they began praying and saying God will you deliver us from this will you deliver us from this the next morning uh, as the sun came out they found that that tribe was nowhere to be found and immediately they thanked God for delivering them for saving their lives through that night one year later the uh, chief of that tribe one year later, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And the missionary, in talking to the chief, just simply out of curiosity, says, hey, well, why didn't you burn down the house? Why didn't you kill us? And the chief quickly responded, well, well who were all of those men with you? And Billy Graham tells the story of how the missionary replied that it was there were no men. It was just my wife and, and it was I. We, we were in the house alone. And the chief replied, well, no, there were hundreds of men in shining uniforms surrounding the entire complex with their swords drawn, ready for some kind of battle. And at that moment, John Patton realized how God had answered their prayer that night, how they could not see it, but how that tribe could, hundreds of angels that night. Billy Graham also tells a story of someone maybe you have heard about, maybe not. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. Um, during World War II, um, she was and her sister arrested and sent to a concentration camp um, there in Europe. And at intake, um, everything was taken from the women. It, obviously, you've heard the stories. Very cruel, very cruel. Everything was taken from them. They were given a shabby prison dress. And Corey looked at her sister, and she said, we've got to take this Bible. It was their only possession. It was all they had tried to take with them. So they took this Bible, and she put it under her prison dress. And so there was an obvious bulge, because it wasn't like a little Gideon's Bible. It was, it was a Bible. She put it under her dress, and she tries to sneak it in. Um, Corey prayed, though, and she said, God, I, I need you to surround me so that the guards can't see me. The ladies began passing by those guards in single file 
and they were looking for all the hidden items. They knew people were going to bring things in and try to bring things in, and they spotted everything. They spotted, and so the lady in front of Corey Tim Boone, they pulled her out of the line, and they got uh, a, a sweater she was trying to smuggle in, but they, and they stopped Corey's sister behind her, and they searched her. She had nothing on her, but they searched her. But they didn't touch Corey Tim Boone. She went straight through. They went through the next door. The danger wasn't over. They went through the next door. And there, she didn't know this, but there was a second search awaiting them. And this time, though, every single lady, as they went through, every single person in the line was patted down, physically patted down. The Bible was sure to be found. But by this time, Corey Ten Boom was not worried at all because she knew after her prayer, that God had answered that, and she knew, she had a peace in that moment that she was surrounded by angels, and that nobody, nobody could really even see her in that moment. As I went through the next door, through the next search, nothing happened. No Bible was found. And Corey left that area, that intake area, praising God, saying, God, if you answered that prayer, then I know I can face this concentration camp. So why should we even study this topic of all the world we cannot see? Why should we study it? And the reason is really this, because God talks about it in His Scripture. That's why. All the world that we cannot see. He talks about that. And so we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to teach about that. There's so much that we could cover. Probably even so much that we should cover. But we only have four Sundays. So I've selected some very specific topics to teach during this series. And we're calling this All the Life We Cannot See. But first, before we get started, let me give you a warning. This can be a dangerous topic. This can be a tough topic. The topic that we're going to cover, it, it involves forces of ultimate good. And we're going to talk about that. But this topic also involves forces of ultimate evil. So the warning is this. Don't develop a fascination with evil. It can lead you into personal danger. It can lead your family into personal danger. The warning is also this. Don't explore the evil side of this topic beyond what God covers in Scripture. Don't explore uh, ex, uh, extra information, extra sources beyond what God covers in his scripture, because it can leave you literally open for a trap, open for an attack. The warning is also this. Not every story that you hear someone describe or someone tell to you, even if it's a personal story, not every story you hear is someone describing a working of God through his angels. 
You see, if what you're hearing does not really fit into the biblical model of what Scripture presents, then it very well may not be God. It may very well not be good. Because the world that we cannot see is only partially good. The rest is dreadfully evil. Even if it is evil disguised as good. So please, be cautious about what you choose to listen. You see, this unseen world contains the best of God, but it also contains the worst of evil. So here we go. This world that we cannot see. How can that really be? Perhaps the best place to begin is to start with God Himself. God who chose to put on the flesh and the blood of man, and He chose to come and live here among us, His name is Jesus. God left this amazing, amazing heaven. He left that, this unseen world. God, who is limitless, He chose to limit Himself by putting on the flesh and the blood of man. And to come here among us, that is, again, Jesus. So God left this spiritual realm. He left that. He left that realm and He chose to limit Himself and live in this world among us. Again, that's Jesus. Now we just finished studying seven weeks on Genesis chapter 1 where we talked about the creation. And when God created, He created everything good. When He created man, then He said it is very good. He created creation as perfect. That's Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> but by Genesis chapter 3, it didn't take us long. His creation, man, we blew it. By Genesis chapter 3, we blew it. Perfect creation was no longer perfect. Perfect creation became sinful in that moment. Now to fix that, to redeem that, it would take a God-sized sacrifice. In fact, God Himself would have to pay the price in order to save His creation. So to do this, God-sized sacrifice would mean that God Himself would have to die. Now there's a problem, because God can't die. And that's why God chose to limit Himself in Jesus and put on the flesh and the blood of His own creation. And He came here as a man, as Jesus, and walked among us so He could die for us. So God left all this freedom, this, what we can't understand, beauty of a spiritual world. 
And he came to this creation and he limited himself, not just by putting on the flesh and blood of man, but do you know what? While he was here, he limited himself to the physical laws. Jesus was subject to gravity. Jesus was subject to the physical laws that he created. But he did that so he could die as he planned, not by accident, as he planned on a cross. And then three days later, something happened. As he planned and as he publicized, three days later after he died on the cross, he walked out of the tomb and he was alive. He did not walk out as a ghost. He walked out alive. Not as a spirit. He was physically alive. His heart was beating once again. But something was different this time. There was something different this time. The body of Jesus was alive. But something was different now. The Bible describes His new body as glorified, upgraded, if you will. This new body was a special physical body. Not a ghost, a physical body. Jesus still ate. Uh, He still would breathe. His heart was still beating, but something, something was different in the way that he interacted with the physical laws that, by the way, he created. Somehow, Jesus, when he walked out of the tomb, had more to work with. See, you and I, we live in three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. So you can say we live in a 3D or even a 4D world. That would be accurate. That's the world in which we live. But scientists tell us that there may be as many as 10 dimensions. Now there could be more, but there may be as many as 10 dimensions. Dimensions of space that we are only aware of three of those for us. Now that means this, that there could be as many as seven or more other dimensions of space that are out there that we know nothing about. Now don't let me lose you. In the last series, I introduced you to some dimensions of space. And in order to do that, I introduced you to a couple of people. Um, I introduced you to uh, Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat. So we're going to call this Mr. Flat. Uh, Let's give him a face. There we go. And then I also introduced you to Mrs. Flat. And so now don't don't laugh at them. They are uh, trapped in a... Two-dimensional world. It's where they live. Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat, they have no idea, actually, that the other one exists right now. 
because this is their own little world, their own little universe. They are trapped in that universe. Even though I set them right here near each other, they are still in separate areas. They have no idea that the other one exists. Not even a clue. I'm going to have to overlap their little worlds. There we go. They have no idea. No idea that the other one exists. Not even a clue. Now, I am not in their two-dimensional world. I live in a three-dimensional world. Now, here's the example we're giving you. In order to help you just a little bit, and me, a little bit better understand thinking about other dimensions, we are downgrading to two dimensions. But I'm still in the 3D world. Now, Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat at this point cannot even see me because I'm in three dimensions. They're just in two. I would have to enter into their two-dimensional world for them to see me. But you know what I can do? I can get so very close. I could get within a millionth of an inch away from Mrs. Flat. I haven't entered her two-dimensional space. I'm still outside of it. She can't see me until I enter into her flat dimension two-dimensional space. She can't see me. The moment I touch that, she could see me. But I could get a millionth of an inch away from her. And I could get a millionth of an inch away from him. And I could touch both of them or get that close to both of them at the very same time and they would have no idea. They could not see me until I actually touched and placed my finger into their dimensions. Now, they don't even know each other exists. But I could take Mrs. Flat and I could place her in this world with Mr. Flat. They, she has really long arms. She should have been a swimmer. They can see each other, and they can now interact. They're in the same world now. And I could interact with them. I could interact with them, and I could place... But if I don't enter into that world, they can't see me. Now, here, here I know it's a clumsy, a clumsy illustration. Very clumsy. But here's what I want you to understand. When you consider another dimension that we do not have access to as we are created right now, there can be a world of activity, a world of life, That we cannot see. Now I know that sounds strange. And you are at this moment possibly some of you thinking. What kind of church did I walk into? Let me help you understand this world. Let's go back to Jesus. 
when Jesus walked out of the tomb, somehow Jesus, when he was on the cross, was limited to this three-dimensional, four-dimensional world. They put him in the tomb. He was limited to this three-dimensional, four-dimensional world. But when he came out of the tomb alive, something was different about Jesus. His body seemed the same, but his experience with dimensions was different. Let me give you some examples. Now let's go to God's Word and let me prove to you what we're talking about. We're going to start with Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 1. We're going to go through several passages now, and we're going to go through them quickly. Uh, McKinley will be keeping up with us on the screen. Here we go. Verse 1. But very early on Sunday... Now this is after Jesus walked out of the tomb that Sunday morning. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them. Now this is not like two men strolled up casually. It means exactly what it says. Two men suddenly, in a flash, in a moment, appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, obviously. It's not like they walked up on them and said, hey, and they were like, oh, you scared me. No, they, they appeared from nowhere. The women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, well, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. Now listen, this was not a magic trick. This was not an illusion. They were not seen and suddenly they appeared. Now the Bible tells us that these ladies run back and they go and report of what they had just experienced. They go back and report that to now the 11 disciples. And the story goes on. Let's go to verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus. It was seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they uh, were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came. So, in a flash, in a moment, in an instant, Jesus is walking beside them. He began walking with them. That's what it says. Verse 16. But God kept them from recognizing him. So, some of the translations actually say that they just could not recognize him. So, for some reason... The two men walking to Amazus, when Jesus walks up, they see this person suddenly appear, but they don't recognize this person as Jesus. Verse 17. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. So they stopped in their tracks. And with sadness written across their faces, then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you 
must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that, that have happened there in the past few days. In other words, it's as if he said, were you born last night? I mean, how have you not heard? What rock did you crawl from under to have not heard what was going on? Now, Jesus seems to be having a little fun with the guys here. And in verse 19, he says, what things? <laughs> All those things he just went through. He was just killed. What things? And they say, the, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. Now, let's go to verse 28. By this time, so Jesus goes on and explains all this stuff to them. They still don't recognize him yet as Jesus. By this time, verse 28, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going to go on and keep traveling. Verse 29, but they begged him, stay the night with us. It's getting so late. So Jesus went home with them. As they sat down to eat, it says, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to them. Verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now listen to what happens next. At that moment, he disappeared. It, it does not mean at that moment he excused himself, and he got up, and he walked away. That's not what it means. In that moment, in that very instant, as soon as they recognized him, Jesus, I can only imagine, with a smile on his face, disappeared. Suddenly, he was gone. He vanished. It was in a flash. He came from nowhere, and he went to nowhere. The story goes on. John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us that that Sunday evening, so we're still kind of in this story, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So here are the disciples. The door is locked and secured. There are four solid walls, locked doors. There is a ceiling. There is a floor. They are secure. And here's what happened. Luke tells us about it in verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how, he, how uh, they had recognized him when he was breaking bread. And just as they were telling about it, so they were telling the story, probably getting ready to tell how he disappeared in an instant, as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And Jesus leans in and says, Boo! <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, Peace be with you. How many of you jumped? <laughs> he said, peace. How many of you woke up? He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you, he said. Jesus. Somehow, 
appeared without opening the door, without peeling the roof back and crawling through the roof, without undoing the floor, however that would happen, and crawling through the floor, without busting through the walls or coming in through the window, Jesus suddenly appeared. And here's how the story goes. Verse 37, that the whole group was startled, just like you were a moment ago. They were frightened, but they were thinking, they were seeing a ghost, a spirit. And Jesus says in verse 38, Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, He says. Look at my feet. And when He says, look at my hands, He's not saying, look at these digits. He's saying, look at this scar. Look at the scars on my feet. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see It is really me. Touch me, he says. And make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. Other translations say ghosts do not have flesh and bone. He had a real physical body. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands, his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled, though, with joy and wonder. And then they, uh, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> What's a guy got to do to get a hamburger? I mean, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. In other words, he was showing, Hey, listen, I am physically here. I am real. Look, I'm eating. Nom, 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 nom. Good fish. I'm eating. But yet, even though he was physically there, he was physically eating, he was flesh and he was bone, he was blood, hearts, and he was there. But yet he could appear through locked doors, through walls, through ceilings, through floors, and yet still have a physical body. John 20 tells us in verse 26 that eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. Eight days later, they're together together again. Locked doors, uh, walls around them, ceiling, a floor. It says... Thomas was with them. So Thomas was not with them the first time. Thomas is with them this time. The doors were locked, but suddenly, in other words, in a moment, in a flash, in an instant, as before, Jesus was standing among them again. Got you again! He says, peace be with you. He said. Okay. Now, at this point, in our teaching, hold on to your armrests so you don't fall out of your seat. Are you ready? I want you to listen to what Scripture now reveals to us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And so in other words, he's saying he is directly speaking to followers of Jesus. 
Christ followers. He's addressing them right now. We're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our, as our Savior. As we are still waiting today in 2018. And the Scripture is saying that when Jesus, our Savior, does return, here's verse 21, He, Jesus, will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Right there. In God's Word, He says, one day, all Christ followers, one day will have bodies like the resurrection body. His glorified body. And in that moment, we too will somehow, only according to God's plan and how He can make it happen, we will be experiencing more than our 3D, 4D world. However many dimensions there are, we will experience them. You know how Jesus appeared? How those angels after the resurrection, how they appeared? How Jesus then, in a moment, in a flash, in an instant, disappeared? I can't tell you how that works. But the Bible says we will have bodies like His. The world we cannot see, we will see. That is the world that angels experience every moment. And angels are our topic next week. But as we end, let me give you one last warning. Right before Paul tells us that we will have these new glorified bodies when Jesus returns, like the resurrection body of Jesus, he first, gives us this sobering warning in Philippians 3, verse 17. So let's back up just a bit. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. He's not saying I'm perfect. He's just saying, listen, I'm following Jesus. Follow me. Do what I do. Let's, let's do this. He says, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. In other words, he's saying, I I'm going to live what Scripture teaches. And he's saying, you know what? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are living what Scripture teaches, what Jesus has taught us. If you're really a follower of Jesus, if you really follow Him, then you're following His teaching. And here's what he goes on to say, verse 18. For I have told you often before, and now listen to this, and he says, I say it again with tears in my eyes. You see, in this moment, as he's writing this, as he's telling this to the as he's saying this to the Philippians, he is, he is sad. He is moved because these are people that he's talking about right here, people he knows, people that he has spent 
time with. People who are dear to Him. So He is moved with tears. He says that there are many whose conduct, that is their behavior, the way they live, the decisions they make, whose conduct, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, I I know this, basically. He's saying, I know this because Christ followers, they actually follow Jesus. They don't just talk about it. They don't just pretend. They actually, a Christ follower actually follows Jesus. And, And Paul is saying their conduct reveals what or who they are actually following. Verse 19. He said these people who are showing by their conduct that they're, their act, conduct that they're actually enemies of Jesus. He says in verse 19. They, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. And they even brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. In other words, they don't think about this world we cannot see. As we end here today, I just want to ask this. Who are you following? Who? Who are you following? What, what, maybe? What are you following? And I, I think we have to ask ourselves... Honestly, we have to ask and say, are we just playing at this thing? Are we just pretending and playing and just giving it a good go? A recreational approach to following Jesus? Are we calling ourselves a Christian and just really though just doing what we want to do? We must ask ourselves, when Jesus comes back for His followers, does that include us? Will we experience those dimensions with Jesus? Or will we instead face what Paul calls destruction? If you are ready, then right now, you can make Jesus the boss of your life. You can become a Christ follower right now. And here's how you do it. You just simply pause and admit in your heart right now to God that Jesus died on the cross for you. Three days later that He defeated death and walked out of that tomb alive. And you can tell Jesus right now, tell Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life. I'm submitting this life, Jesus, to you. I was following me and doing what I wanted to do, but right now I am submitting this life. I'm giving this life to you because you bought it on the cross. And if that is what your heart is doing right now at this moment, before you turn in your connection card, please mark on the back, 
let me know that you're making Jesus the boss of your life. Now, this next step is for us all. And I hope you'll do this. This week, will you read several times in God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read it several times this week and ask God to help you understand it a little bit more each day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And now, I ask, will you pray with us? And in doing so, I'm just going to ask, would you stand with us as we pray? And as we sing these next two songs, Jesus, you gave us a peek, a peek into a future with amazing mysteries. You gave us a hint of a world that we cannot see, Jesus. But then you told us that those who follow you will live in that unseen world. Thank you for loving us so much that you did not give up on us, this sinful creation, the perfect creation that turned sinful. Thank you for loving us so much that you chose, God, to limit yourself so that you could live among us, so that you could die a horrible death, making it possible for us to eternally have a relationship with you. This week, God, may we spend time reading 1 Corinthians 15. Will you speak to our hearts, Jesus? Lead us, and may we follow you. And we pray these things in the mighty name of our Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen.